Is it possible for a human to be deeply satisfied in a way that lasts? Is it possible in this world in 2018 to flourish as a human being? I think the way we normally hear that question is, do you want to be happy? And I wonder if when we open the Bible, we, it even occurs to us not only that, that Jesus answered that question, but, but he answered it as the first thing that he said when he sat down to teach. How many of you grew up with red-letter Bibles? I mean, they still have them. I just, we don't have them here at the church. So I remember as a kid thinking like, wow, they went to the trouble of having fonts in different colors and on these really thin, thin pages. And this page is all red. There was only one page in my red-letter Bible, maybe you had a larger print than I did, that was all red. And I'm like, this should be really important, right? If it's all red. And yet I turned to it and I had missed some of the beauty of this text. I don't know about you. It's a very, I know I'm speaking to a very sophisticated and learned audience. Perhaps you never missed this. The Beatitudes are one of the most well-known parts of Scripture, perhaps one of the most often cross-stitched parts of Scripture. And I wonder, and, and that's great. If you're a cross-stitcher, like, you're welcome here. Um, <laughs> I have three sets of grandparents growing up, and I think all of them had some version of the Beatitudes up in their house. But I wonder if we, if we understand them. Maybe you do. Perhaps you noticed what I didn't, and this is so ridiculous. I have a degree in English and in religious studies. I went to seminary, graduated, flunked zero classes, and am still learning the point of the beautiful attitudes as Jesus described them. I was, and I, I said this last week, but it still is profound to me. I will naturally misspell them when I'm not thinking. You know why? It's because I think the message of Jesus and perhaps even the message of religion generally is be this way and God's happy with you. That would be B-E-A-T-T-I. In your Bible, that's not how it's spelled, and it's not even what Jesus said. That's a subheading for it. It's B-E-A-T-I, because these are beautiful ways of being in the world. Jesus is born miraculously. He's baptized. He knows that he's called by God to redeem people, to atone for their sin, to defeat death, as we've already sang about. He goes out into the, the desert and is tempted by the devil, lots going on here, you know? You're like, I don't even believe like 40% of what you said. Then he sits down with a huge crowd and he begins to teach and the first thing he says is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And some of us are gonna struggle because it's two different metaphors. It's the very first thing he said though. But back to the question, this is Jesus asking and answering the question, is it possible for a human to flourish? Is it possible for a human being to be deeply satisfied even in this world that is literally groaning for salvation? The world and humans desperately need healing and new life. So Jesus modeled a beautiful attitude towards the world 
He modeled poor in spirit. He taught the opposite of this. We'll look at this in Matthew chapter 23. If you've ever read the Gospels, like when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We may not fully understand that, but we're not surprised. That sounds like something that Jesus would say. Have you ever read Matthew chapter 23? It's the antithesis of this section. The opposite of a blessing, and I'll get to this in a second because I don't think we understand blessing. We think it's favor from God. It's actually deep satisfaction. It's a way of being in the world. The opposite of a blessing in the New Testament sense is not a curse. And there are two kinds of blessing in the Old Testament. Let's not get into that right now. The opposite of blessing in the New Testament sense is not a curse. It's a woe. It's an ugly way of being in the world. And so the matching text to Matthew chapter 5 is Matthew chapter 23, which we'll only look at briefly today. But I am getting at something that I have a little bit of a beef with, and I'll keep it short. I'll keep it short, but I, when I hear Christians use the word blessing, I'm not sure we have a good grasp of what it means. I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but you remember in The Princess Bride, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Some of you are not laughing. You're like, that movie looks really old. Yeah. Yeah. Getting older. Oh, bless you, sir. And I think what we are trying to say is, when we say I'm so blessed, what we're getting at is I, I love Jesus and I'm so thankful that he pursued me and called me his own. Thankful for the Holy Spirit. But what it sounds like is God has specially favored me. And whether that's true or not is a different thing than what Jesus was getting at when he said, blessed are makorioi. And you're like, why are you, what, what was that? Well, someone's going to ask you today, like, do you go to church? And you're going to say yes, and they didn't go. So you're like, what did you learn? I'm going to give you a one-word answer, and I really want to know if you do this, and if so, how it goes. Someone says, what did you learn? Say, we learned about macarisms. And then just see what happens. Just say that and see what happens. A theologian that I've been reading about the Sermon on the Mount says that the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to teach you and I how to flourish in this life. And so he's taking the Greek word blessed are or happy are or deeply satisfied are or flourishing are, which is makorio in Greek, and he's just pronouncing it Englishy. So I don't know what your brunch plans are, your dinner plans, but somebody's going to say, did you go to church? Yes, what'd you learn? Macarisms. And just see what happens. And the reason I'm saying that is not in hopes that you laugh, though I was hoping that you would laugh. But because when we say blessing, I think part of English and part of our culture, we think it means like God is especially happy with us. And that's true if you're a follower of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is getting at. He's describing a beautiful way of being in the world. I think deeply satisfied gets closer to it. Deeply satisfied are the poor in spirit. So what does the poor in spirit mean? It means we know our need. We know that our need for salvation and for new life today is full. Our indebtedness to God is full. Our dependence upon him is entire. That's a person that's poor in spirit. They remember that daily. And it doesn't make them sad. It fills them with joy. It doesn't make them overly self-deprecating. It makes them confident in a way that's easy to receive.
Contrast that perhaps with the rich in spirit. I think the rich in spirit are the ones that have no need. I was having a drink with a friend recently and he said to me, I am not broken. And I enjoy hanging out with him. He talks kind of fast and his brain moves really swiftly, but he is what I believe we would describe as rich in spirit. There's no need for him to turn to Jesus for help in this life and for the eternal security purchased on the cross. He can apparently speak peace to his own heart. He can love well without help. Uh, he has found a job with dignity and, a, and a, um, one that, that satisfies him in some fashion. And these are sincere people. Perhaps you know some who are rich in spirit as the Bible would define it. Now that troubles me a little bit because I think it's incorrect. I don't think we can speak peace to our own spirit. I don't think we can love well on our own. I don't think we have the embedded knowledge. I don't even think we can learn it in terms of I read it in a book, now I'm going to do it. But what troubles me more than those who are rich in spirit who have no sense of their need before God are those that are middle class in spirit. And this is, I think, our dominant way of doing life. I think this is our default. I think this is why I misspell the Beatitudes. We think that we're not going to be very bad, we're not going to misbehave, and therefore God is going to be nice to us. We think, I'll go ahead and do some kind things, perhaps be generous in some ways, I won't cuss too much, that kind of thing, and God's going to treat me a certain way. Most of the time that our middle class in spirit tendencies are revealed to us are when we suffer. And we realize that we were thinking about God in a barter way. I'll do this, I'll genuflect and go to, that means like the symbols, you know, and I'll go to church and I'll sing songs, I'll give away some money, I'll treat people a certain way and God will then dot, dot, dot. I think that's our default. The poor in spirit know that there's no bartering. God's holiness is way too high and, and we can't get there. We're not good enough, smart enough, not for ourselves, not for the world. This is not about you being, I don't even know a negative enough word. This is not as much about you as it is about God. You know what I'm saying? Like kind of the way that I would hear the gospel preached when I was growing up was you're kind of pond scum, but God is not only awesome, but he's so awesome, he pulls you out of the pond scum. You're made in the image of God. You have gifts and skills and affections and intelligences that no one else has. You are made beautifully and you can't save yourself. A middle class in spirit person thinks that they have a deal worked out with God. And therefore, they're okay if they do these things. And the most frequent way that I've seen that uncovered is when people suffer. And their whole theology has to be redone. The poor in spirit know their need. And so they're constantly grateful that they know how much they need Jesus and then they remember that they have him. And here's the thing. You may or may not have thought any of the last six minutes of the sermon was compelling. How you are in the world, your way of being in the world affects everything. If you are rich in spirit, you are hard to be in a relationship with because you know everything. Sorry, 
There's got to be some bad news, right? Got to explain our tendencies to one another. But you know what I think is worse than being rich in spirit relationally is being middle class in spirit. When we're middle class in spirit, we're really defensive with other people. You know why we're defensive with other people is because we're offering something to them, hoping that they're going to offer something back to us, which is not love. Even if this is a person you're in love with, if you're middle class in spirit, you're doing something with them speaking in a certain way, acting in a certain way, sharing your stuff or not in a certain way, expecting them to treat you that way in return. Whereas someone who is poor in spirit, we're all poor according to the scripture, someone who's poor in spirit knows it, well now they're able to listen without defensiveness or without having to wait until the other person tells them exactly how it is. The way that we are in the world, the way that we are towards God, overflows to all of our relationships. You can immediately think of what it would mean to be rich in spirit with your parents or with a coworker, or with a friend or a spouse or a child. You know everything. You know what it is like to be middle class in spirit because even if you're not, much of the time it seeps in, Right? You're doing the dishes hoping that you'll be praised later, not doing the dishes because you love and they need to be done. And this is why Jesus' words are so profound, so important. And we have to shed our religiousness and see that not only has he described and modeled a beautiful way of being in the world, he teaches us that we have it. Deeply satisfied are the poor in spirit, those that remember their need and remember they have Jesus. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What an exciting promise. You don't know what it means because we have one metaphor that comes to another metaphor. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's joy and peace and righteousness. And I think when I read those, people are all over the map. Like joy, I think we're suspicious of joy in 2018. I could be wrong. You can email me about this. You can, it's okay, everybody else does. <laughs> and I actually like, I actually, I, especially about a sermon, they're my favorite emails in the whole world. I think we're suspicious of joy because it's taken on an overly religious connotation. But peace, we're not suspicious about. Everybody wants peace. Now righteousness, we're sort of like, slow down there. Not sure that that's interesting to me. But do you know what to do in relationships all the time? I don't. Do you know how to treat your coworkers and your friends? Do you know how to love well the children that God may or may not have given you or has given you? Or do you know how to deal with those longings that you have that have not been met? Do you know how to deal with your parents? I know very few people that are content with how they deal with their parents. Well, that's the offer of righteousness. Not only internal peace of the with God life, but encouragement. In light of the promises of God, this is how you can interact with your parents. I'm summarizing Romans chapter 14, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul says that the kingdom is righteousness, joy, and peace. We don't live like folks, we don't live like kingdom folks. I think it's one of the reasons we use the word blessed, which is really interesting, because Jesus uses the word kingdom a lot more of proof that we're not kingdom-minded folk. We're not people that are consistently remembering what has been purchased for us on the cross, and it's this. Do you know anyone that works for a restaurant Do you know what day they hate the most? It's today. And it's not because of this specific church. 
From what I understand, I have a lot of friends that are servers. The barn does a pretty good job. And yet, Christians across the country have given servers terror of Sunday. I'm serious, because they don't tip. We come in, we're not full of joy. We're stingy with what we have. And listen, I know some of us can't afford that. Well, we should go out to eat less if we can't afford to be generous there. My point is, we don't live like kingdom folk. We get tied up in our own anxieties. We get tied up in our over-concern about the future. Your anxieties are legitimate, and yet Jesus asks us to learn to pray in light of them, calls us to a joy that transcends them. If you do go out today, I'm encouraging you. I hope you hear this. You want a sermon application? Here it is. Tip when you go out on Sundays. Well, I'm serious. Talk to anyone that works for a restaurant. And they'll say this is the worst day. And it should not be like that. What's happening when that happens is we're buying into a religion that is middle class in spirit. You think that I'm exaggerating this perhaps. Here's Jesus speaking back to those who taught. You learn to take this kind of an oath. You learn to give exactly this much and not a cent more. You learn to wash your hands this way when you pray and pray this way. Those were some of the teachers, not all, but some of the religious teachers that Jesus was alongside with. Here's what he said to him in Matthew chapter 23. Verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You imagine what love incarnate sounds like saying, whoa, stop slamming the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. By the way, if you're not clicking with my sermon, not every sermon's that great. Just keep reading Matthew 23. It's amazing. He's got six more woes and they're all zingers. I'm serious. That's okay. You're like, this sermon was pretty good. And then I kept reading my Bible. Did you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? It was amazing. I think we kind of want joy. I think we absolutely want peace. I think we're even more suspicious of righteousness, and yet that is what we receive when we are born again to and what we learn to lean into as followers of Christ. Some of you, this is way too vague of a sermon. You're like, I don't understand the poor in spirit thing, and I don't understand the kingdom of heaven thing. I caught the macarism thing. I don't know what that is, but I caught that. It's one word. Okay, it's a good takeaway. If you want to know what to do in light of this, you need it to be more practical, more tactile. You want to be able to touch it? Keep reading. Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5 and 6 and 7 will describe what a follower of Jesus does with their eyes. Don't take it literally. Don't cut your eye out. But learn what to look at and what not to look at. Followers of Jesus, what do they do with their hands? Don't take that literally either. That's not what happened to my thumb. I wasn't taking the scripture overly literally about cutting off your hand because it caused you to sin. It was a tragic accident, and I'm fine. (laughs) But you want to know what to do. This is too metaphorical if you keep reading. Jesus will describe to us how to pray and enjoy the kingdom life. Jesus will describe to us how to be generous, which is enjoying the kingdom life. Jesus will describe to us how to use our eyes and our minds and our words and our skin for his glory, the good of neighbor, and for our own good. 
And in the midst of that, he reminds us over and over and over and over that the good news is that God loves us. And that because of the work of Jesus, we are reconciled to him and we have the Holy Spirit. And what happens when the Holy Spirit frees us to be poor in spirit is we are humbled and free and empowered. Those of you that tend towards middle class and spirit, I hope that you notice the problem is too big. The problem of your own tendencies and mine, too big for a barter system with God. The problem of the world, too big to be handled by information alone. God is not going to bargain with us because we have nothing to bargain with. One of my favorite preachers likes to say the difference between Christians and religious people. Religious people repent of their sins. True Christians repent even of their good works. You know what that means? God's not going to bargain with us. We have no need to do the tireless attempt at being middle class in spirit because we have nothing to bargain with. If we're a follower of him, we receive the new life freely. Being poor in spirit is how we become deeply satisfied, knowing that we need Jesus that much and that we have him. Being poor in spirit is how you flourish in the world. And it's how I flourish in the world. And that is the kingdom. Christ is risen. Why? I don't think that you think it's so that you'll be deeply satisfied in this life and in the next. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. One of the reasons the Beatitudes are confusing is because they're talking about today and forever at the same time. There's an eschatological hope in there. I must just like saying that word. That shouldn't be part of a conclusion of a sermon, eschatological. But it is. Christ is risen. I know you're all being respectful. You can't tell if it's a rhetorical question or not. It's not. Christ is risen. Why? To free us from sin and death, yes. And so that we flourish here. constantly remembering our need is entire and it is met in the cross of Christ, proven when he rose from the dead. The actual thing I hope that you remember today, that Christ is risen to give you deep satisfaction of the with God life. To free you to flourish as a human being. New life today and eternally. The good news is so sweet with respect to eternity and it is so sweet with respect to your afternoon and your Monday. If you are rich in spirit, I hope that you consider the gospel of Jesus. If you are middle class in spirit, I hope that you are exhausted and realize there is a better way to be in the world. And that is to regularly acknowledge our need and then remember that it's met in Jesus Christ. You're like, how do I enjoy that? Learn to pray, learn to follow the way that Jesus describes in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. 
Christ is risen. risen That we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you indeed help us to remember what you have done and that every Sunday is in part a celebration of what you accomplished the third day. Jesus, help us to remember your sacrifice for us and be filled with gratefulness, joy, peace, and your Holy Spirit which teaches us righteousness. Free us from our tendencies to be middle class in spirit, Lord. Free us into remembering that you have purchased for us deep satisfaction in this life, which is the kingdom of heaven. Father, fill us with joy as we sing about you. Fill us with joy as we play this afternoon. Please, Holy Spirit, give us a sense of your love and affection and guidance of us. Amen.